since you didn't give me a more specific question, I'm going to take the opportunity to do some ranting. So here we go. Diz Runs Radio, episode 833, starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 welcome back to uh, another listener Q&A episode uh, we made it, made it to the end of April almost. I mean, it's the last, the last Friday of April, which means it's time to do, uh, do a little question and answer and have a little fun today. Uh, if you're new to the show, new to these parts, welcome. This is something that we do on the last Friday of every month. You ask, I answer with a little bit of luck. I actually answer something useful, something helpful, something that'll help you move forward. If you're asking a serious question, we get some, we get some shenanigan questions once in a while too. And those are also always, uh, you know, just a good time, a lot, a lot of fun, uh, hopefully able to laugh a little bit as we go. So, um, that's what we're doing today. Today is all about your questions. I think we've got, I don't know, 16, 17, something like that. And, uh, if you want to get your questions entered into the hopper, um, not like it's a random draw. Like if you ask it, I'll answer it no matter how long it takes, no matter how many questions we have. Uh, the best way to do that is to, to come on over and join our little group on Facebook, the, uh, the, the Diz Runs tribe, as it is called. Um, all you need to do to find the group is to, uh, you know, next time you're on, on the book of faces, just go ahead and search the Diz Runs tribe. There's a couple of different Diz Runs things that are out there. The, the tribe is the, the open group to everybody. I mean, I say open, it's, it's a private group, but if you ask to, uh, to come in and join us, we're going to let you join us. And, uh, you know, as long as you don't come in and start spamming the group, we'll let you stay in and have a good time, crack some jokes, you know, participate in the conversation, all that kind of good stuff. And then around the middle of the month, I'll put out a, a, a post that says, Hey, what are your questions for this month? You ask your questions in the comments, bada boom, bada bam. We have a listener Q and a episode and that's what we have today. So, uh, like I said, Dizruns tribe on Facebook or Dizruns.com slash Facebook is just going to redirect you right there to the page. You click to join. We'll approve you and, uh, welcome, welcome to the party as it were, once you get inside and, uh, um, and yeah, so that's that's where we are. That's how we. That's how this this thing comes about. Now let's uh, dive into some questions, shall we? Uh, the first question comes from Steve. He asks, uh, "I've heard some runners uh, talk about strength training after a training run or a long run. What are your thoughts on that? What about flipping it around and strength training before the run?" Uh, Steve, great question. Is something that uh, is one of those areas I think that, that sometimes we get uh, maybe a little bit too caught up in the details. And uh, you know, if push comes to shove. My, my take on the, on the situation is that you should, we need to strength train, you know, strength training is, is important for us as runners. It's important for us just to be healthy in general life anyway, is to be stronger, uh, both upper body and lower body. You know, I think strength training is, is valuable for all runners. If we want to get a little bit more technical and get into your question, which is better strength training before strength training after, uh, I will make the argument and, and you can find different studies to show different things, but for us as runners, Strength training after a run makes the most sense. Why? Because we're, we're runners first. We're not bodybuilders. We're not trying to get jacked. At least I don't think, you know, maybe, maybe you are. And if you are nothing wrong with that, of course, but if the goal isn't to pack on a bunch of muscle mass, a bunch of size, um, there's nothing wrong with going into your strength training sessions a little bit worn down, a little bit fatigued. Cause that's always the argument, right? Like if, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to lift after my run, my legs are already going to be shot. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a bonus. <laughs> that's making life a little bit easier. Because part of the goal of strength training is to, to wear down your muscles, fatigue your muscles with the resistance that, that comes, whether it's body weight or, or actual weights itself. Um, so if you're starting with, you, with your legs already half gassed, well, that's, that's half the battle, right? Um, versus if you're going to hit the weights beforehand, and, and of course, when I say hit the weights, like I said, it could be body weight, could be, could be anything. It doesn't have to be weights itself, but if you're going to do strength training before your run, now you're going out to your run and your run's going to be half baked because your legs are already worn out from, from your strength training. And again, with us as runners trying to build our running fitness and, and improve, you know, looking to improve more on the road, on the trail than in the, in the weight room, I feel like it just makes sense to do your strength training 
after you're running. You know, if that means that you get a few less reps, a few less sets, or if you're using, if you're using some resistance weight, you know, some type of resistance, whether it's, 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 you know, barbells, dumbbells, machines, whatever, if you're using a little bit less weight because you're, you're not as, as fresh as you would be. So what? So what? You're still getting stronger. You're still working your body. You're still going to get the adaptations that we're going for by, by doing the strength training exercises. So, um, I say if it fits the schedule, that's always, that's always an, a, a variable as well. You know, if, if, if really the schedule lines up to do your strength training earlier in the day and then do your run later, that's okay. You know, I'd rather do that than no strength training. But if it, if it lines up in your schedule to get your run in first and then do your strength training, whether it's immediately after, whether it's later in the day, um, to me, that's, that's the best option for us as runners to get the most out of our running and still get maybe not quite the maximum benefit out of, out of our strength training, but still get ample benefit to still benefit our running, which again, as runners, that's kind of what I feel like we're going for. So my take, and, and again, you can split airs. You can, you can make arguments either way. At the end of the day, strength training, good. Probably the, the, the ideal option, as far as I can figure it out, run first, then strength train. Uh, but thank you for the question, Steve. And, and, uh, you know, keep on, keep on, keeping on, keep on getting after it. Uh, next question comes from Robin. She says, uh, what are the pros and cons of running with a face mask? Uh, I don't have one and I've only seen one person running with a mask. So, uh, for those listening to this well off into the future, we are, you know, April, 2020 still smack dab in the middle of this, uh, coronavirus, uh, situation. And so, uh, you know, some States are kind of mandatory. If you're going to be outside, you've got to have a mask on some places. It's, it's a little bit more optional. Um, here's my take on it. You know, looking at it from a running perspective, um, from strictly from a running perspective to your, to your question, Robin pros and cons, I can't see any pros of running with the mask on now, before you, you, you jump through your, your device at me, that's strictly from a running perspective. You know, um, there's nothing that I can think of that running with the mask on is going to help you from a broader picture perspective. Yeah. Maybe there's some benefits of, of running with the, the, the mask on because of trying to reduce the, the possibility of passing on, uh, you know, COVID-19 to other folks that are, that are running near you, you know? And so, so I guess, you know, if you live in an area where you're running and it's, it's dense enough population wise, or the, the running area is dense enough where it's really hard to keep that six foot radius, or you, you know, you're, you're, you're able to do it, but there's people all over the place. Then probably the, the socially responsible thing to do is to put a mask on and run with it. There's not going to be any benefits to your training. There's not going to be any benefits to your running, but it's the socially responsible thing to do because what, what that does r- reminder, what, what wearing the mask does, it doesn't necessarily, uh, help prevent you from getting sick. Although it does a little bit of that, but it helps prevent the, the spread of any germs from, from, from you, from the person wearing the mask. And remember with, with COVID-19, there's, there's a halfway decent chance that people may have it and never have the symptoms and never realize that they have it. So we're just trying to cut down on that, that transmission by wearing the mask. And so if you're out on a single track trail and there's people coming back and forth or you're passing people, you're going to be within that six, six foot radius. So put the bloody mask on. You know, if, if you're in a, a more urban setting where, where everybody's out at the park and, and just trying to get some fresh air and you're trying to run, but there's people all over the place, put the mask on. Okay. It's not going to help you for your running, but it's going to help hopefully do what, what we're all trying to do and prevent the spread of this thing. What are the cons of wearing a mask? Likewise, there's not really specific cons to your, to your training. You know, it's not like it's going to, it's going to hamper you by wearing the mask. It's probably going to be uncomfortable. Um, it may cause some, some sweating, some irritation, some things like that. Of course, if you're going to be out long enough where you're doing some hydration or, or fueling things like that, that's one more thing that you got to hassle with. You got to take the mask off again. It's not a huge deal, but it's an inconvenience, right? It's not ideal. So I wouldn't say to go ahead and, you know, if, if you're running at a place where you don't ever see anybody or it's real easy to keep social distance, I don't know why you would wear the mask. Um, unless you have to, like, for example, for my, for myself running in, in the morning in my neighborhood, I see, you know, three, four five people out most mornings when I'm, when I'm running, but you know, I, I live in a quiet neighborhood where I can easily and safely run on the streets itself. There's sidewalks on both sides of the streets. So everybody's pretty, you know, socially responsible. And like, if I'm running in the road and, and the person's also running in the road, like we get to opposite sides of the road or we might jump onto opposite sidewalks. So just make sure that we've got well more than six feet between us. So in those cases, like I don't feel like I need to wear the mask. Like there's no real risk, uh, running outside to, to 
dramatically increase the, the likelihood of, of transmission. Uh, we're keeping distant. We're doing all the things we're supposed to do. So, you know, I, I don't know that there's, from a running perspective, really any pros. Cons are just superficial stuff. It's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient, things like that. It makes it Maybe makes it a little bit harder to breathe. I guess that could be a con, right? Um, but socially, you know, the, the social responsibility factor of it, if it's busy, if it's, if it's a, a popular, you know, po- densely populated area, densely populated trail, um, might better put one on or at least have, you know, have the buff around your, your neck so that if you're running and somebody's coming towards you on that single track and you got to have pass each other, you can just pull that thing up for a second, pass each other. And then after, you know, 20 seconds, after you get distant, distant enough, you can drop it back down and get back to your run. So, uh, hope all that makes sense. Hope that's, that's the responsible answer. I mean, it's the answer I believe in, um, you know, better safe than sorry, I think is ultimately what it comes down to. Um, but uh, from a purely running perspective, not too many pros, superficial cons. Um, but socially, uh, and just you know, be a responsible human being in the, in this time that we live in. I think it's it's the right choice if you're running around people uh, and and you can't keep that six to ten foot distance between you. Just put the mask on. Just put the mask on. It sucks, but but do it. Do it. Um, thank you for the question, though. Next one comes from Dan. If you are starting. Sorry, if you were starting out focusing on the little things, what are two or three that you would prioritize first? Dan, put me on the spot um, because you know ultimately when it comes to the little things, like they're all important, right? And so you know, is one more important than the other? Like ah, hem and haw a little bit. Um, so in case you're you're unaware of the little things vernacular that gets thrown around around these parts, um, when I say the little things and, and what Dan's asking about in his question are things that are ancillary to your running that help support your running, but aren't exactly, you know, your training principles, aren't the miles you're getting the paces, the efforts, things like that. So it's things like sleep. It's things like diet and nutrition. It's recovery protocols. So like foam rolling and stretching and getting massages, things like that. It's uh, cross training types of, of things. Um, and what's the other one? Strength training is another one that, that would certainly be on the list. So I, I'll kind of use those five as my framework, you know, which, which one, and you, because you could splinter down farther than that and kind of separate each component into different, different, you know, into, into multiple categories underneath it, but we'll keep the, the five main categories. Um, which ones would I focus on? Which ones do I think should be prioritized first? Whew, I mean, you could, you could really make, I think, well, all right, back up. I think one head and shoulders, most important one is sleep, um, which is probably the one that most of us skimp on the most, right? Like I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like, no, you'll be dead earlier. Uh, so you get more sleep that way. And that's, that's not an ideal situation. So, um, sleep is so valuable, so valuable for injury prevention. So, so valuable for just good health overall. So valuable for making, you know, improvements that like, that's where we make our gains. And you do the, the hard work as far as, as logging your miles, doing your workouts, doing the strength training, all those types of things. Well, well, where our bodies get stronger, get faster, our endurance builds, is when we're getting enough sleep. So getting enough rest, getting enough sleep. I think that's, that's head and shoulders. The top one, you know, if, if you're really sacrificing sleep, you're getting, you know, five hours, four hours of sleep a night. So you can do all the things and then still get up and do your runs in the morning. Like you're really rolling the dice on, on some problems. You're, you're probably undermining the training that you're doing. You know, I, I don't know what the exact numbers might be, but you're not getting maximum benefit out of your miles. If you're only sleeping four or five hours a night. Um, or if your if your sleep quality is super poor, which is why you know going back to not making it all about me all the time, but you know one of my goals for this year is to improve my sleep quality and quantity, because I I really kind of started to recognize how important sleep is. So I think that's that's got to be number one. Um, I think if if you're gonna force me to pick another one, I think diet nutrition, uh, kind of that category is probably number two for similar reasons. You know, not only is it good for us as runners to have our diet and nutrition game on, on point. Um, but it's just good for overall health. And I think the, the more overall healthy we are, you know, the better that translates to being a, a, a better, healthier injury resistant runner. So, uh, I think those two are probably the, 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 the top of the ladder for me. Um, but again, I mean, it, depending on, on what you're dealing with as an individual, where, where you are, what, you know, how you are kind of lined up in, in various areas, you can make a, a strong argument that any of those could be the number one, you know, like if you're already getting pretty good sleep, well, you don't have to focus on it because you're already doing that. You know, if your diet's already pretty good, you don't need to, to focus on, on changing that up or, or, you know, trying to get some of the processed foods out and bring more fresh foods in because you're already doing that. So, you know, like you don't need to, to necessarily focus there. So it kind of depends on where you're starting from. 
which ones are the most important. But all things considered, I think I think sleep, both quality and quantity, and you know diet, nutrition, making sure you're well hydrated, making sure you're eating uh, what what I consider to be the the best diet, meaning real food. So as as few processed foods as as possible. It's okay to have a treat once in a while. It's okay to have convenience food once in a while. It's okay to go to a restaurant once in a while. But for the most part. Most of your the, the bulk of the food that you eat, I believe that the best thing is to to you know get it get it as close to the source as possible from the plants from the the animals. Um, you know if you're eating animal products, um, but just non processed stuff, I think is generally the best the best bet. So shore up those two areas first, and then start worrying a bit more about the recovery stuff, um, the strength training, the cross training, all those types of things are, are still important, but I think they're a notch below sleep and diet. But thank you for putting me on the spot, Dan, and making me uh, overemphasize a couple areas of little things um, as being more important, but they really probably are. Uh, Next question comes from Carly. She asks, uh, I am looking at getting my first running watch, which would be a Forerunner 45, and I have heard that the heart rate on watches are not always the most accurate, but was wondering, do you think that if you wear it firmly on the inside of your wrist while running, that it may help with the accuracy? Curious on your thoughts. Uh, thanks. Well, thank you, Carly, for the question. Thanks for, for teeing me up to get on my soapbox here because it's something I've I've uh, talked about in various places over the, the years since really getting into the heart rate training side of, of you know that, that philosophy of training. And uh, I know some of you know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, do not trust the heart rate accuracy on any watch, period. Some of them are, are fairly accurate, all right? But in general, as a general guideline, um, and if you're seeing reviews on the, the, the Forerunner 45 saying that the, the, the wrist-based readings are not accurate, believe that because that's very much probably true. And, and here's why. Let me explain it a little bit uh, more clearly for you. So um, the, just the fact that they're claiming that it's reading your heart rate on your wrist is fallacy number one because it's, it has nothing to do with your heart rate. All right, what, what the sensor on your wrist is reading when it gives you a, a heart rate measure all it's reading is the blood flow that's going through. So there's right there, it's already a little bit inaccurate as fa- saying it's heart rate because it's not measuring your heart rate. It's measuring blood flow and blood volume. And of course, that's going to go up as your heart rate's beating more. It's, it's pumping more blood through your body, right? But it's, it, you know, there's various uh, factors, volume of blood, how viscous your blood is, you know, how, how well hydrated you are, how well hydrated you, you're, you may, how dehydrated you may be, um, any type of circulatory issues that you may or may not have. That's all going to impact the, the reading because it's going to impact how much blood is flowing through your wrist. Um, of course, how clean the sensor is, how, how, how tight your wrist is, the exact location. You know, if, if, you're, if your watch moves a quarter of an inch from one day to the next, guess what? Your, your, your readings aren't going to be as, as they aren't going to be the same reading as yesterday, period. You know, because it's reading a different site. There's different tissues to go through. Maybe it's a better reading today. Maybe it's a, it's a less accurate reading today. We don't know. Um, and this isn't just me suggesting this. There's there's a link um, or a, a, a article that I that I came across. I posted a link in the show notes today. Uh, Dizruns.com slash eight three three will get you there. I believe it's I, I can't I can never remember the the exact journal. I believe it's the American Journal of Cardiology. Maybe that's not the exact title, uh, but it's it's a it's a cardio cardiology based journal. Um, medical journal. So it's legit, right? Um, peer reviewed, all that kind of stuff. They, they did a, a meta analysis of like dozens of studies looking at the, the accuracy between wrist-based heart rate readings and um, a heart rate chest strap, which actually does read the electrical activity of your heart. So it actually does read your heart rate. Um, and then comparing both of those to like a proper EKG device, you know, so proper actual measuring the heart rate, right? And um I, I, again, I, I maybe I'm slightly off on my numbers here. You check the article, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm accurate. They determined that, that the over overall the heart rate chest strap has a plus or minus margin of error of like one beat per minute off. So it may not be exactly perfect to the actual EKG monitor, but you're 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 at most one one uh, beat off one way or the other. Um, they, they, they do they do say in the article in that study that the, the wrist monitors very widely. Some of them are more accurate than others. And, and what they tend to say across the board is that slower that, you, that you're running or, you know, more like of a walk, more like resting heart rate, those types of things, they're pretty close. Their, their margin of error isn't, isn't huge. But when you start getting into running, when you start getting into a, a good long workout where you're really starting to work halfway hard, um, 
the margin of error is like 20 or 30 beats per minute, which means that that's, that's a 40 to 60 beats per minute window one way or the other that, that your, your numbers can be. Um, again, it's not universal. It's not, it's not guaranteeing that they're not going to be accurate because they could be pretty, pretty spot on that, that day. But maybe you get some dust on the sensor and then it's, it's a little bit loose the next time. And all of a sudden, what was accurate yesterday is now 30 beats off. If you get into heart rate training, being five beats off is a big deal. Being 30, I mean, why even bother? Why even bother? So all that to say, and, and not to, to you know, um, cast any shade at all, Carly, on, on, on you or your choice of watch. Because as, as Katie chimed in with a reply to your comment, she has the watch, absolutely loves it. But because the heart rate is so inaccurate, both her and her husband have found it to be inaccurate. They got a strap. So just get a heart rate strap. It'll pair to your watch. Um, if, if the features of that watch sound like they're good for you, get that. You just spend the extra, I don't know what it is, $30, something like that, uh, to get a heart rate strap as well. And sync the strap to your watch. And tr- and you can trust that your readings will still may not always be perfect. Because sometimes I feel like my strap is a little bit wonky. Um, but nine times out of 10, maybe, maybe 19 times out of 20, um, I feel like my heart rate strap is spot on. Uh, and so you can trust that a whole lot more. So, you know, if you, if you like the features of the watch, get the watch. But if you're looking for heart rate, don't just trust the sensor on, on that watch or, or most watches, most watches. So Carly, thank you for the question. Thanks for getting me fired up. I, I could talk heart rate training all day, uh, especially when it comes to the difference between a, a wrist watch or a wrist sensor and an actual proper heart rate strap. Um, I know the strap can sometimes be a little bit uncomfortable, or a little bit awkward. You get used to it. I promise. You know, it, the first times I, I put it on, man, it was kind of, kind of, you know, eh. And, and now, you know, two and a half years later of, of wearing a heart rate strap for probably 99.9% of my runs. The only times I don't is when I just randomly forget it. Cause I'm walking out the door still half asleep, but, uh, I mean, I don't even notice it anymore. Like I'll, I'll finish my run and it ends up staying on for half the day usually because it's not like, it's just like, I'm just so comfortable with it or so used to it or whatever that I don't even notice that it's there. So if it feels a little awkward at first, just keep, keep going with it. You'll, you'll get used to it. I promise. I promise. So I uh, thank you for the question, Carly. And if you have more heart rate questions along the way, I'm not going to say that I know everything, but I've, I've learned a few things and I'm happy to, to try to answer those for you as we go. Uh, next question comes from Liz. She says, how do you know when to retire a pair of shoes? I rotate three pairs. So time is kind of less, less relevant for you. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 um, I, I get the idea of rotating shoes. I think that definitely helps to prolong the life span of the shoes. Um, it also kind of throws that, that whole wrench of like, well, just, you know, use it for X number of, of months or, uh, whatever that kind of makes that a little bit fuzzy because you're not wearing the shoes every day. Um, and, and surprise, surprise, Liz, I'm not a big fan of one size fits all recommendations. So I know that there's kind of this, this one size fits all rule of thumb out there. That's like every five, you know, 400 to 500 miles is all you should be able to get on your shoes. I call shenanigans. I call shenanigans because I've, I've worn shoes hundred percent have gotten over 700 miles on certain shoes before. Now I don't get 700 miles on every pair of shoes. Don't, don't get me wrong there, but you know, 700 miles, 750 miles on some shoes still have some life in them. Still wear them once in a while. Um, you know, they, they, they're a little bit sentimental to me, which is ridiculous to say I'm sentimental to shoes, but you know, so I don't wear them very often, but every once in a while I'm like, ah, you know what? I'm going to bring out, bring out the OGs today. And uh, just get a couple easy miles with them. Um, don't put too much pressure on them. You know they're they're old. They're 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 old and, and uh, not not exactly great, uh, but still work well. Still still you know don't cause me any issues. So so there we go. But to answer your question, but all that to say, of course, that just the idea that oh 400 miles, I need to replace my shoes. Just calm down, calm down. If you just want an excuse to get new shoes, just get some new shoes. But you don't need to replace them every 400 miles. So better yet, how do you know when to retire a pair of shoes? How do you know when it's when it's time? So the, the guidelines that I use for myself, your mileage may vary, but I think that this is pretty pretty standard. You know, not one size fits all advice, but actually like each pair of shoes is going to be different, right? Some shoes don't have a whole lot of cushion, so they don't really break down because there's no there's no real foam underneath them. Some of the more minimal style, minimally cushioned shoes, um, you can pretty much go in them until the sole wears out. So that's one way to, to tell, you know, just kind of keep an eye on the sole. If, if all of a sudden, you know, like, like your tires get, get bald and you, you lose your traction. Well, if you, if you if your tread on the bottom of your shoe is pretty well worn off, um, you can probably still run in them, but you know, it might be, might be time to start thinking about retiring them, especially if, if it's slippery out, things like that, you're not going to have much traction. Um, you know, starts to become a little bit, a little bit sketchy at that point. So, you know, keep an eye on the tread. As long as there's still some, some, some life left on the tread, you know, then, then your shoes may still be okay. So that's like step number one. Step number two is to pay attention to how you feel. Like that's, that's how I know. Um, 
That's how I know when it's time to replace a pair of shoes. It's like, if I just go for my normal, like four or five mile run and I'm like, gosh, like I feel kind of like my knees are hurting a little bit and like my ankle, like, ah, like that one, I don't know. That kind of beat me up a little bit. That's kind of like the warning sign. It's like, oh, wait a second. Maybe, maybe that pair of shoes is, is worn out. So if I'm only wearing, really wearing that one pair of shoes, I start to take note. All right, well, let's, let's see how I feel the next day. Same thing, kind of, ah, man, like, like my knees are just a little bit sore. Why? Well, now we start to see a trend emerge, right? And so that's where it's nice to have at least one other pair of shoes that's got some, you know, that's, that's much, that's nowhere near the the retirement age, if you will, pull those out, wear those for a couple days, man, the knees feel good. Ah, so that, that first pair of shoes must be about time to replace those. So then, you know, then it's maybe you test them one more time, right? Like, well, let me just, let me just double check. So you wear, wear those again for a few easy miles and like, yep, knees are still sore time to go. So I, I kind of just pay attention to my body. Now with rotating three pairs of shoes, it's a little bit more tricky because you know, you might be a little bit sore one day, but was it because of the workout? Was it because of the workout the day before? And just like, I don't know. And then the next day you're, you're in a different pair of shoes. So if you start to notice that things are a little bit more sore than usual after just an, an easy, short kind of standard midweek run. You start to pay attention. Does it, are you always feeling that after you wear that, that, that one pair of shoes? If so, that's a good signal. You know, if, if you, if you take that one pair of shoes out of the rotation for a week or 10 days and there's no soreness at all, when you're just rotating your other two pairs of shoes that are in your rotation, and then you bring that third pair back in and it's like, yep, the knees are sore again. The shins maybe feel it a little bit, the ankles, the hips, whatever. Um, all right, there we go. Like that, that kind of seals it. It would seal it for me it, that it's time to retire, retire that pair of shoes, maybe kick them to yard, yard work duty or, you know, wearing, walking things like that. If they still have some life in them left, but they're definitely not, they're, they're definitely not, don't have running life left. You know, that's, that's kind of my, my signal, my way of telling. Um, so then you, you, insert a new pair into the rotation, keep rotating them until the, until one of the other pairs starts to kind of give you that, that signal and rinse and repeat. So, you know, you can keep track of the mileage if you're, if you're so inclined, but, uh, you know, that's, that's how I tell it with no regard at all to, to mileage. It's all about tread life and how my body's feeling. And, uh, you know, as long as there's still a little bit of a tread and I'm not feeling sore after, after just an easy short little run, then to me, still plenty of life left on a pair of shoes. So hope that that helps Liz. And, uh, and, and yeah, you know, like I said, if you never need an excuse to get a new pair of shoes though, right? So even if, you know, if you just like, ah, I don't want to wait seven or 800 miles per pair of shoes to get, you know, you replace them, you know, add a fourth, add a fourth pair to the, to the rotation. Nothing wrong with that either. But uh, thank you for the question, ma'am. Next question comes from Jackie. She says, what's the most interesting slash amusing thing you've seen on your run? So if you follow me on Instagram, you uh, know that every, pretty much every morning, um, when I, when I go for my runs, I'm always looking through the neighborhood, looking through where I run for something that stands out sometimes for some reason, it kind of goes in spurts and starts, but there's been a, there's been a time when it's been a lot of toilets. Um, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of nature. Sometimes it's, it's tacky, gaudy, you know, Christmas or Halloween decorations. Um, just kind of whatever catches my eye when I'm out on a run. Uh, and then I, you know, post it up as, as kind of my accountability post and tag it with, with seeing on my run. So what's the most interesting slash amusing thing you've seen? Um, Hands down, the, 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 the most random thing I've seen running through my neighborhood uh, was a couple of years ago uh, during a certain season of, I guess, RuPaul's Drag Race. I, I know RuPaul's Drag Race. I, I'm assuming it's during a certain season. I don't know. I don't know which, which person it was. But there was leaning up against one of the, the traffic lights in my neighborhood was this like pole that was probably three or four foot long. It was like a, a cardboard tube, right? With a, a sign attached to one end of it that was like a screenshot of somebody from one of the one of the drag queens from from RuPaul's Drag Race, and uh, with her little catchphrase that, that I guess she said on every episode or whatever. Um, and I'm not even like pretending like I don't know. Like I really don't know. Uh, I'll post a picture of it though in the uh, the show notes today if you want to go see it. Um, but you know, I saw that out on my run, and I was just like, "Yep, this is the picture for today." So I like picked it up, kind of held the sign behind me, and, and kind of gave like a, I don't know what this is face, and snapped a selfie of that. Um, that is definitely the most most amusing thing to me. Uh, there's been some other things, but that's the one that always stands out as just the most random thing that I saw. Like in my quiet little neighborhood, here's this this sign of uh, of of a drag queen. I mean, it was it was 
pretty spectacular. So if you want to see the photo, disruns.com slash 833. But thank you for the question, Jackie. Uh, next two questions both come from Rob. First one, how long should training go until a considerable time off? Do I go by feel or go by X number of months? I usually do three or four months of a training cycle, then run my race, then lay low for a month or so, and then start prep for the next cycle. But with the coronavirus stuff going on, I'm ready now as my race was supposed to be at the end of this month. But if it clears up, you know, if the coronavirus clears up and there's races on tap in the not too distant future, I want to be ready for, uh, I want to be ready when races become available, but it's always two more weeks or one more month until the races. And you never know before long, I'm going to be at five or six months of a training cycle and I still feel good to go, but I don't want to wear myself out for nothing with, if there are no races. So what do you think? So Rob, um, there's, there's a few thoughts on this. Um, and, and I'm going to start with, with some rule of thumb that I heard somewhere back in the day. Uh, I have no idea who said this. Uh, you know, it was some type of running coach, physiologist, something like that. Uh, I can't remember if it was an elite athlete or whatever, but it was somebody that, that at the time certainly knew more than me, probably still knows more than me. Um, but, but the, the, the adage or the advice was something like this, that runners should take one day off per month or at least, you know, one, one resting kind of recovery, easy day per month. Um, not, and by easy, I mean like easy activity, not just an easy run. Uh, one week per month should be a pretty drastic cutback. You could still run that week, but like no hard workouts, short and long run, like just a real low key week for, for recovery. And then one month per year should either again, be off or very minimal running, no crazy workouts, no long runs, no races, nothing like that. So it's kind of the, the one, one, one rule of, one, one day off per, per month, or I'm sorry, one day off per week, one week low key per month, one low key month per year. And it's always kind of stuck with me as like pretty good advice. Um, you know, just because it, it prevents, it can help prevent overtraining injuries, wear and tear, things like that. So, um, you know, as far as your question, when, you know, I don't know that there's like an X time as far as you should, you should back off in X amount of time. Um, you know, because in a good training plan cycle, you're going to have that cutback week every month or so, every, every four to six weeks, probably. Um, and then, you know, after your normal race situation, you're going to take that, that's a low, that's a great time to take, you know, your low key month and, and kind of just refresh and come back. So, you know, with the situation we're in now, like, I, I don't know, it's, it's a tough one, a tough one to call. Um, I, I like the idea of, of maybe, um, at least taking a week every month or so while we're kind of in this limbo, limbo situation, because that gives enough time to kind of refresh, just kind of decompress a little bit. Uh, maybe get a little extra sleep, maybe a little extra cross training, injury recovery type of stuff, some strength training, some foam rolling, whatever you can work on some of the little things through that time and then get back at it at, at kind of your, your standard, either maintenance building level, or even kind of ramping up a little bit for, you know, three or four weeks, give yourself another week to, to low key depress, you know, decompress, um, and rinse, repeat, you could probably keep that going for, for quite a long time, uh, quite honestly. And then that way, if the, a race does pop up, when races do start happening again, you're still at a pretty good level of fitness to start having a little bit more focus into your training cycle. So, um, I don't know if that completely makes sense, but I think maybe, maybe one week, every month to month and a half of backing off, not again, not omitting running completely, but really dialing things back, maybe dialing it back to, you know, a half of what you normally would do. You know, if you're normally running 40 miles a week, maybe you run 20 and, and no workouts or a dramatically short and long run. Um, and just, just, you know, a couple extra days off, a couple extra cross training days, whatever works out for you. And then the next week you're back to your 40 miles per week, uh, normal training. I think that's a pretty good kind of status quo level of, of training, which is kind of where I think most of us are trying to be right now is just maintain the status quo um, until we have some more definitive answers on races that are hopefully going to happen in the fall, maybe even late summer, certainly into, into the fall and winter months. So um, I hope that that makes sense. It's not clear cut. It's, you know, th- again, there's no one size fits all, but I think that one, one, one guideline is not a bad thing to kind of keep in the back of your head. So hopefully that makes sense, Rob. And hope that helps a little bit. Uh, next question also from Rob, is it a sign of higher uh, aerobic benefits from heart rate training when less walking and more running can be done while maintaining the same heart rate or faster pace of running with the same heart rate. Yes, that's exactly what we're going for, Rob. If you, if you're, you know, following the heart rate principles, whether it's Maffetone, 80, 20, whatever zone training, any type of heart rate based run easy, most of the time philosophy, 
That's exactly what we're looking for. Building the aerobic base, building your, your endurance, building your fitness, your efficiency means that, that, you know, if, if you started out and you were running, you know, 12 minute pace and your heart rate was at a steady 140, And now, you know, six months later, you're able to go at 10 minute pace at a heart rate of 140. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what we want. That's exactly what we're going for. You're able to run faster without working any harder, which means that you're able to to race faster. You're able to, to go farther before you start to fatigue because you can just kind of lock in at that, at that pace and keep going. And you know, in the same amount of time, if you're running 10 minute pace versus 12 minute pace and you're running for an hour, guess what? You went an extra mile and you worked just as hard, just as hard according to your body, because your heart rate staying the same. Um, and then, you know, I mean, that's, that's exactly what we're going for. Or, or you know, if, if you're at a point where I certainly was, when I started heart rate training, where I would run for a little while and then my heart rate would get too high. I'd have to walk to bring it back down. Well, if you're finding that, that maybe in the early days, you're maybe 50, 50 split just to make the numbers easy. You're at 50, 50 of time spent running versus walking to keep your heart rate where you, where you want it to be. And now six months later, you're at like 80, 20 of your, you're running 80% of the time and only occasionally does your heart rate get up? Well, yeah, that's, that's the progress. That's exactly what we're going for. So if, if that's what you're finding with your training wrap, sounds like you are well on your way to continuing to build that base, build your fitness, getting stronger, um, and ultimately running slower, racing faster, which is, uh, certainly what I, what I, what I am going for for myself with my heart rate training and what the research kind of shows. Like if you stick with it, that's what happens. So kudos to you. Kudos to you, my friend. It sounds like you are, are well on your way to, uh, to continue to improve your fitness and, and making progress with heart rate training. And if you're seeing those, those, those benefits, let me just say you made it past the hard part because that hard part is the early stages when it feels like you're just running slow and, and it's not getting anywhere. You're getting somewhere. So keep it up, Rob. Thank you for the questions. Uh, next question is a fun one. Comes from uh, Thessaly. She says, uh, hi, I'm super new to your podcast, Luscious Group, but I've been so excited for this section. Well, thanks for, for joining us, Thessaly. And uh, glad, glad you're able to get a question in this month. She says, I have a not serious question. If you could only listen to music or podcasts or audiobooks for the rest of your life, what would you choose? This means on the run in the car at home slash work, um, PS TVs and movies would be gone forever. So if I can only choose one style of audio entertainment slash distraction for every area of my life, what would it be? Uh, and why? So, um, for me, honestly, like maybe I'm kind of, uh, skirting the, uh, the spirit of the question, but this was, this one took me about two seconds to figure out the answer to, and I would pick podcasts and it's not just because I'm a podcaster, right? Um, the reason I would pick podcasts is because I feel like I could at least scratch my itch in the other areas. I could, I could scratch a music itch because there's music podcasts, right? I could scratch the audiobook itch because there's, there's podcasts that are very similar to kind of like that information type of situation that an audiobook would provide. I can, I can certainly scratch the podcast itch of conversations and, and long drawn out interviews because obviously that's what a lot of podcasts are as well. So I feel like with podcasts, I'd have the options to kind of get at least dipping my toes in, in the other areas of water as well. But if I'm going to pick music, like I'm not getting podcasts or audiobooks from that. If I'm picking audiobooks, I'm not getting music certainly, and probably not getting much of the podcast feel either. Um, so maybe, maybe I'm slipping in the side door with the answer here, uh, to kind of try to get all three out of it. Um, let me just say this though. I'm glad I don't have to make that choice. I'm glad that, uh, I can have music in my life. I can have, I can have podcasts. I can have audiobooks. Um, and that, uh, at least right now I don't have to make that, that choice for real, for real. So, uh, thank you for the fun question though, Thessaly. And, uh, welcome to the group. Glad to have you around. Uh, looking forward to, uh, more questions and, and conversations with you in the group as well. Uh, next question comes from Marion. She she asks, uh, bracing versus taping. I guess it's not really a question, right? That's, that's, it's even got an exclamation point. So, um, not exactly sure where you're, where you're coming at this one from Marion, but, uh, I'll, I'll rant on the idea of bracing and taping if you want me to. And, you know, since you didn't give me a more specific question, I'm going to take the opportunity to do some ranting. So here we go. Um, I don't like either. I don't like either there. I said it. I don't like bracing. I don't like taping. Here's why. Um, too often. Well, let me back up a step. There is a time and a place to use a brace or to use tape. But I think that too often, too many runners become reliant on one or the other. You know, they, they have a little, a little issue and, and the tape helps or the brace helps. And so they, they, they think mistakenly, in my opinion, and this is a semi-professional opinion. This is like going back to my athletic training days. So this is something I feel like I do know a little bit more about. Um, they, they just kind of feel like, oh, I have to, to tape. I have to brace to keep, you know, this, this issue at bay. No, 
No. Um, you know, if, if you're, you know, three weeks out from a race and you get a little case of like patellar tendonitis that crops up or a little bit of, of shin splints or something like that, then by all means use tape, use a brace to kind of help keep the, keep the problem at bay and get you through the end of your training cycle. But after that, correct the issue. Work on the strength and balance, work on the flexibility issues, work on whatever that issue needs. And, and the vast majority of things that are, that are quote unquote problems that runners have, where we turn to a knee brace, we turn to a strap, we turn to, uh, you know, KT tape or whatever, the vast majority of those things, we can just solve them correctively. We can, we can go to the source and fix the problem as opposed to addressing the, the symptom, right? So we could, we could cure the problem or we could just try to manage it with the brace or the tape. So that's why for me, as a general overarching statement, I don't like braces. I don't like taping. Fix the problem. Fix the problem. Again, extenuated circumstances, I get it. But if you've been, you know, taping your your knees for the last six years, like it's it's time to, to solve the problem, you know, as opposed to, to just continuing to buy KT tape. Although I guess I should maybe buy stock in KT tape Maybe that's why I don't have stock in KT tape because I think it's 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 a scam. It's, it's helpful. It's it's a band aid, not a scam. It's a band aid. We all know that band aids have a, a use in the short term, but long term, like your body heals, and and our bodies can do the same thing. You know, you got a little overuse issue, something like that. You might need a band aid to get you through a race, and that's okay. Use the KT tape, use the brace, but then let your body heal. Help your body heal. Address the issue, and you won't need the tape anymore. And that's that's. I mean, that's that's the ideal situation. And yes, there are a, a, occasionally there is an outlier. There is a, a, a biomechanical issue, an anatomical issue that the tape or the brace or the orthotic, that's when it's used for. But most of the time, those things are so far over prescribed in my, again, professional opinion, um, that we could just solve problems and be good to go. Let our bodies do what they do best as opposed to have all these outside influences trying to, to correct an issue that may or may not really even be an issue. So thank you for the question though, Marion. Hope that that helps. Hope that wasn't too ranty at you, but, uh, you know, sometimes I feel strongly about an issue and that's one of them. Uh, next question comes from Kevin. He asks, uh, thoughts on Gaston slash, excuse me. Let me try that one again. Thoughts on Graston slash scraping, especially since I've been seeing lots of uh, Facebook and Instagram ads for the sidekick tool. So here's the deal when it comes to, to the Graston technique or just scraping in general. Um, it hurts. It's intense. Uh, basically, it's like foam rolling. It's myofascial release uh, idea. Uh, basically, for those that are completely unaware of what the heck Kevin's question is even about, they have these, these most of the time metal, although it can be different different uh, types of, of materials, uh, tools, metal tools, right? Um, they're, they're angled. They're, they're shaped in certain ways, but just you know pieces of metal, basically. Um, and you scrape your tissue. So you scrape along parts of your body, uh, helps to, to break up the, the adhesions in your myo, myofascia, uh, can help break up adhesions in the muscle as well. Um, and, and help to, to kind of improve blood flow does, does a lot of things that, that can be very much beneficial. Um, I have a set of tools. I, I, I was seeing the ads as well. Kind of looked into it, ended up getting a different set than the sidekick. Uh, if you want to see the, the set that I have, um, it's, it's again, I have a link at disruns.com slash eight, three, three in the show notes for today. Um, it's also an affiliate link. So, you know, a little bit, a little kickback there, but, uh, anyway, um, I have them, I use them. I try to use them about once my goal is like about once a week. Doesn't always happen, but, uh, I, I use them. The thing is it's intense. Um, I, I, you know, I'm recording this on a Thursday last Sunday. I was hitting my calves pretty good. Like I can still feel, I can't see the bruising anymore in my calves, but I can still feel the tender spots. Like if I just t- run my hand across my calf, it's like, good, good, good. Oh, there's that spot. You know, like, like, so it's still, still some trauma going on in my calves after using them. Um, the other thing that's, that's a slightly inconvenient, I guess, is that they're, they're much more effective when somebody, when, when you're not self administering the treatment at least in most parts, you know, thinking like your hamstrings, thinking even my calves, thinking your feet, things like that, where yes, you can use them on yourself, but having somebody else to kind of put you, because quite frankly, if you put yourself in a stretched position, a slightly stretched position of the muscle and then scrape, woo buddy, it'll light you up. Uh, It'll, it'll make you know you're alive. It'll make you question why the hell you're putting yourself through this, but it's more effective more effective, less, less force required. Um, but you know, trying to get into a slightly stretched hamstring position and still be able to get your whole entire, uh, you know, from the, the knee up to the glute, like it's just, it's doable, but it's not as easy as if you're 
at, at a you know chiropractor's office or at a clinician's office, they're able to put you, you know, put the, the leg up on the shoulder, puts a little stretch on you and they can, they can scrape. I mean, I've, I've done it before. I've done it to, to professional athletes before. It's super easy to do, uh, as a treatment protocol, doing it to somebody else. It's a little more awkward doing it to yourself. That said, my thoughts, um, if you've got a few extra bucks and you're looking to, to step up your recovery game, it's, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. And, uh, you know, then it just becomes a matter of like any tool, you just have to use it. Right. So like, I, like I said, I try to use mine once a week. There's been a couple months where like, I haven't picked them up and it's like, oh yeah, I bought these things. I should probably use them. Um, so the more you use them, the, the better they work. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the science is clear. Myofascial release is, is legitimate. It's helpful. Um, it's, you'll find hot spots that you didn't even know were hot, you know, especially use it around like your IT band kind of that junction between your quad and your IT band, your hamstring, your IT band. Um, Ooh, yeah, it'll, you'll know you're alive. You'll know you're alive. Also, you want to make sure you get some type of, of lubricant, like a lotion, uh, a thicker type of lotion. I use the, uh, the, the shades, cocoa butter, uh, it works really well, uh, to kind of just provide that little bit of lubrication between your skin and the tool. Um, so it just glides smoothly. And, uh, again, you know, let us know how it goes, Kevin, if you end up getting some tools because, uh, um, yeah, not a whole lot of fun, but, but effective, you know, it's one of those hurts so good. Uh, and it gets you, gets you where you need to, to go. Uh, hopefully, uh, the first couple times you use it. So thank you for the question. Next one comes from Katie says an, an update on your experience with heart rate training slash math. I've listened to your previous episodes about it, but I'm curious if you're still following it consistently and what your thoughts are now. So yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely still heart rate training. Um, every day, every day I, I, uh, probably do one proper workout, maybe I don't know, once every couple of months, something like that. Uh, for the most part, uh, everything is, is easy peasy, just running easy most of the time. Um, and certainly continue to see improvement. Feel like, uh, it's, it's moving in the right direction. I, you know, going back to kind of Rob's question, I feel like I'm, I'm regularly seeing my, my pace, my average pace for my runs getting faster while my heart rate is certainly staying in the zone. And even, you know, rarely even going up to like the high end of the zone. Kind of, I, I, I have my alert set for 141 as a heart rate. Um, and I'm usually in the, like the high one twenties, low one thirties. And my times are getting my, my easy run pace is getting faster. Um, one thing I've, I've incorporated recently that seems like it's helping are, are adding strides into my, my easy runs at least a couple, three times a week. Uh, so it's just kind of, you know, running faster for 20 or 30 seconds and then call them back down to, to easy pace. It's usually enough to just kind of bring my heart rate right up to that 141 range or 142. And then it drops back down real quick. Um, so that I've been, you know, mixing those in a little bit after doing some, you know, continuing to learn, continue to research. Um, and, and those seem like they're, they're paying off a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not flashy. It's not exciting. Um, I know not everybody is always interested in it, so I don't talk about it maybe as much as I used to. And it was still something that I was new and, and was still dabbling in, but, uh, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a believer and, you know, never say never, who knows something else might come along. Science may, may, uh, uncover something different that makes me question, uh, the long-term use of it. But until I feel like I'm not progressing anymore, um, I don't have any reason to try to change it, you know, feeling good, feeling strong, injury free, um, still making progress. Like, it's good. It's good. The one thing I've been, I've been maybe lacking on, which, which, you know, your question makes me think I should probably get back onto this is doing the, the math tests. I haven't done a math test in probably a year. Um, but other than that, keep on keeping on. And, uh, maybe I should start mixing those in once a month or so just to have a bit more firm grasp on the progress I'm making, but I feel like I'm still seeing progress anyway. So I, I, I'm not as worried about it, but, but yeah, I love it and, uh, have no plans on, on, uh, coming out of it. In fact, probably more plans to double down even harder on it as opposed to, to dabble out of it. So, uh, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And if you, obviously if you have any questions, Katie or anybody else specific questions on it, feel free to let me know. Cause, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not the mafetone master himself, but I've, I've learned a few things. Uh, I've been studying a few things and hopefully can at least share my experience if nothing else to kind of help answer questions that you might have. So thank you for, uh, for asking and being interested, Katie. Appreciate it. Uh, next question comes from Maya. She asks, uh, I miss cross training. Any recommendations on purchasing an exercise bike or a bike trainer? My only requirement is that said piece of fitness equipment would be housed in our garage. Um, and so just kind of curious for my suggestions. Um, it's a tough one for me to give good recommendations on here because I've, I've never, used, owned, even seen in person, I don't think a bike trainer. So I don't, I mean, I know what it does. I know kind of how it works, but I, I don't have any firsthand experience with it. Um, I love my spin bike. I do. I, I think it's great. Um, I, I don't use it maybe as much as I would, as I should, but I use it, you know, probably on average about once a week, maybe twice a week, once in a while. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan of it. I, I enjoy it. It's, it's been a good uh, a purchase that I do not regret 
at all. Um, I think my recommendation or my thought would be, um, obviously to get a bike trainer, you got to have a bike. So I'm assuming you already have a bike, uh, you know, a good, a, a good bike that you can use for the, the trainer. Um, but then my other thought would be, um, storage issues. So like, you know, if you get a, if you get a proper exercise bike, good spin bike, um, it's not like it's something you break down and, and, and hide in the closet when company comes over. All right. Or it's not something that, that you easily can, can move out of the garage to, you know, park your car in the garage or something like that. Um, whereas I feel like a trainer gives you more flexibility on setting, setting your room up, setting your garage up, getting your workout done, taking the bike off. You can then put the bike back, you know, up like if it hangs from the a rack on the ceiling or if it's up tucks up against the wall and you can move the trainer somewhere else. You can still fit the car in the garage or you can still do, you know, you got company coming over, you get, gets it out of the way. When company comes over, like our bike is just sitting there in the, I mean, it's not in the middle of the room, obviously, but it, it doesn't go anywhere. You know, it, it doesn't move. It stays where it is. Um, so I feel like like if it's really push comes to shove in terms of which you're going to get, um, you know, if you've already got the bike, the, the, the trainer maybe gives you a bit more flexibility as far as not having to just set it up and then leave it there permanently. Um, or at least having to be a real hassle to move, you can just set it up, use it, take it down, you know, that type of thing. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that either is good and, or either can be good. And certainly I think cross training is beneficial. So, um, you know, do what you got to do to get some cross training back in. It's going to help your running. It's going to help your maybe mental sanity as well. Uh, so hopefully you're able to find something that works for you, uh, on that front. But thank you for the question, Milady. Uh, next to you, both from Michaela or actually this one's from the first one's from Michaela's friend. <laughs> See what I did there. Uh, she asks is a 50 K 20 miler half marathon and a 24 hour challenge, which is basically going to be a 50 K, uh, over the course of three months too much asking for a friend. So Michaela, I would, I would encourage you to tell your friend that, uh, depending on how things are set up and how the training is leading up to those events that I don't think it's too much. I don't think it's too much at all. Um, again, assuming that the base of fitness of that your friend has is strong. Um, you know, you've been, been training consistently for a while. I'm sorry. Your friend has been training consistently for a while leading up to, to the first of those events. And then the other thing to consider is that you, that your friend is hopefully not going to plan on like really trying to hammer all of those events. I think, I think your friend could get away with racing one of them pretty hard, but to try to race all four of them is asking a lot. And the other thing to consider is the spacing of those four events. So it's over the course of three months, but are they evenly spaced or are like three of them in the first month or three of them in the last month? And then the, the, the outlier is, you know, two months difference. Um, so if they're, if they're fairly evenly spaced, I think your friend assuming good fitness, assuming adequate training, good recovery after the, the, uh, you know, after each event, um, probably won't have any issues running all three of those events. Uh, as long as, as your friend runs them intelligently, uh, stays within him or herself and not tries to hammer each and every one. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully you're able to, to pass that along. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge to your friend, Michaela, but thank your friend for that question. Next one actually does come from your friend. Uh, follow up. Why does my quote unquote friend still feel the need to qualify her runs when people give, uh, that you run question mark look by saying I walk sometimes when will I, um, when will she finally feel like she can stand in line with the great runners around her and be confident that just because there are walk breaks, she's still a runner. So I guess this run actually is still to your friend. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that I have, um, any wise philosophy to offer your friend on this one. Um, she, she's, she, you said your friend is a she, so she, uh, just needs to accept the fact that she's a runner. I, I, you know, I, I, um, it's, it, this is probably one of those instances where it's maybe like the downfall of social media is playing the comparison game and like looking at other people and comparing other people's times and seeing their, their posts and like, oh my gosh, this person's so much faster than me that that, that makes your friend kind of go, well, I run, but I mean, I walk some too. Like, yeah, so what? So do most of us, especially when we're running longer distance stuff, doing a 20, like, like, yeah, there's, there's the elites, there's the freaks that go out there and they run without stopping for 24 hours. Then there's the mortals of us that go out there and we're going to do a 24 hour race and we're going to, we're going to probably walk half of it. Right. Um, and, and, and in no way, shape or form, am I going to go out there and do that and be like, well, I walked some too. Like, no, hell no. I ran a 24 hour race. And I would, I, I would say that your friend, your friend, should all these races happen, she will have run a 24 hour race. She will have run a 50 K. She will have run a 20 miler. She will have run a half marathon. I don't care if she's walked some during that time she's a runner to me. 
So I think it's just one of those things that, that uh, hopefully your friend can get uh, wrap her head around the fact that she doesn't need to qualify her stuff to anybody, especially to those that are like, what, what do you mean you're a runner? Like, bitch, you don't know? You don't know me? Like, I am a runner. You better believe I'm a runner. Period. Even if you do some walking too. So what? So what? You do you, do you boo. And uh, don't worry about everybody else who looks at you funnier than when you tell them, when, when your friend tells them that she's a runner. You're a runner. Period. End of. Thank you for the questions. All the best to your friend. Next question comes from Nancy. Uh, she asks, what are some creative ways to set running goals that are different from the quote unquote norm of like, you know, train for X race or X distance or X time, you know, like, like what outside of those types of goals, what are some, some goals that might be uh, interesting, fun? Um, you know, Nancy, I think this is one of those where it's, it's, I mean, the, the limit to the options are the, as far as potential goals is just your, your, your own creativity, imagination situation. So, um, I've heard of, of friends that have gone out for a run. Um, and you know, maybe it's not like a long-term training thing, but it's just, just like today's run. Like I want to, um, you know, pet set a PR for petting the most dogs during my run, or, you know, maybe not so much now, but you know, when, when life gets back to, to normal, assuming it eventually does, you know, I want to see how many high fives I can get from the runners that I pass out on my run today. Um, or, you know, how many, how many, kids on race day, I can give a high five to, um, you know, I've, I've heard of folks that are trail runners that like, you know, they, they, to keep them, them fun or to set goals, how many pieces of trash can I pick up off the trail today? So they take a trash bag with them. And you know, every time they see something that shouldn't be out on the trail, they pick it up and, th- and throw it in their trash bag so they can, they can dump it out, clean the trail while they're running. So, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of those things. Of course, there's, you know, there's, there's more kind of tangible race goals as far as maybe running a complete race, which was something that I was working on for a while where, you know, I, I wasn't as worried about my finish time on the marathon, but I didn't want to feel like there was this part where I gave up, where I, where I really like just threw in the towel. And so that was, that was a big goal for me for a few races was to just, just, you know, not that I was worried about running the whole thing, but be locked in mentally the whole time. And if I had to walk a little bit, I had to walk a little bit, but that wasn't a concern, but I wanted to be focused, locked in, grind it out, never, never give up the focus. So that could be a goal. You know, if there's a distance that you're struggling with, um, you know, it could be a, a, a running goal of, of, you know, percentage of, of training runs you know, accomplished or, you know, as, as far as if you're, if you're struggling with being consistent, instead of worrying about, I'm going to try to hit every run. Maybe it's, you know, I want to, I want to run 75% of my runs this month as they're scheduled. You know, I don't want to, don't want to let myself out. You know, one of my, my goals for the last couple of years has been to do 80% of my strength training workouts. So that's been, you know, instead of, instead of trying to be perfect, trying to hit everything, um, setting specific goals for a race, like I'm, I'm focused on getting my strength training in trusting that if I'm consistent there, it's going to pay off on my, my, race performances or my mileage or things like that. So, um, again, I mean, it's just however creative you can be, however much you're willing to think outside the box, maybe it's elevation goals. Maybe it's a run streak goal. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why anybody would want to do that, but, uh, you know, I mean, that, that's a goal that some people have. There's just so many options out there. It's just whatever, whatever things you can, you can come up with that sound fun to you. You know, maybe it's, it's, you live somewhere in, in mountains trails and you're like, I want to run every inch of this trail system. That's got, you know, 75 miles in it. I want to run every inch of it at some point this summer. So, you know, you kind of keep close track of, you know, you always start from the one trailhead, but like this time you take that trail and this time you take that trail and this branch and that branch. And, and like, I mean, again, just however creative you can be, I want to run every street in my town. I want to run every, uh, whatever, you know, whatever. And, and just kind of take away over time and, you know, keeps you focused on something besides just training for this race or this distance or whatever. So hopefully those at least gives you some ideas to kind of get your head turning there, Nancy. And then, uh, you know, come up with something. And when you do, let us know. Let us know what kind of creative goals you're working towards for uh, 2020 and beyond. But thank you for the question. Last three, all from my man in New York State, Mr. Tom himself. First one, I read recently that icing an injury may not be a good idea. Have you heard of this? And what do you think? I guess the idea is that icing reduces blood flow to the injury. And that, on the whole, unrestricted blood flow is better for healing. So I've, I've seen some of these articles. I, I and, and I will preface this by saying I haven't, like, gotten really deep into them. I know that they've come from like, at least some of them have come from proper journals, peer reviewed, things like that. So there's, there's legit science to this. Um, and, and, you know, this is kind of the evolution of, of healing, right? Evolution of, of what we used to do. And now maybe we know something better. Um, and, and in a lot of cases, you're right. It can be, it can be better to, uh, not just ice up the, the injury and try to cut everything down from a blood flow perspective, but getting fresh blood to the area to help, 
um, you know, bring, bring the nutrients, the, the tools that your body needs to heal. What sometimes gets lost in that, and, and this is from my experience in the past life of, of doing athletic training stuff um, and, and being focused on that type of stuff, but not being as current on all of the, the injury recovery guidelines as I used to be, what, what often gets lost in the, or I think what can get lost in that translation is like you, you hear, all right, I shouldn't ice anymore. Great. So you, then you just sit on the couch and you, know, you just sprained your ankle and you're sitting on the couch and letting the blood flow go. That's not exactly what they're typically doing in those, in those studies, right? They're, they're usually the, you know, the, the fine print, the stuff that you don't read about, or at least in the, maybe not in the study, in the field. What's actually happening you know, when somebody sprains their ankle is we, we put them right to work. We, 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 we don't ice it. We don't uh, necessarily do the, the, the rest ice compression elevation thing. Like That might be part of it, but we're also getting them in the pool, getting them on the bike, getting some movement, helping the body to, to help to hold on to the range of motion because that's what, that's why icing used to be a big thing, especially for like a sprained ankle type of situation is that we wanted to, to prevent the swelling to get into the joint because once the swelling gets in the joint, then it's a pain in the tuck us to get it all out. It impacts range of motion. It slows down the healing process. So let's ice the heck out of it and keep as much fluid out of the joint as possible. And we'll, we'll wrap it, compress it, yada, yada, yada. Well, now it's like, Hey, let's get in the pool and do some pool walking. Let's get on the bike and just have a general gentle spin to keep, keep the joint moving, to keep the, the body moving, to keep the body kind of pumping, you know, blood's coming in, but it's also pumping it out. Um, might do some ice and compression afterwards, but it's not like just strict ice and compression. So, um, I think that, that I guess what I'm trying to say, and maybe I'm trying to hedge on not giving a, a direct answer, um, is that the, the recommendation to not just ice right after the injury is a lot more in depth than just don't ice after the injury. It's still, and in a lot of cases, that ice or compression is still going to be part of the, the, the process. Like there's still going to be a time to ice, especially after an acute injury. Now, if you've got some longstanding, uh, you know, hamstring tendonitis or, or muscle strain or something like that, then, then you can make a pretty strong argument. There's really no reason to ice anymore. You know, it's, it's about heating. It's about getting blood flow going, going, increasing range of motion, things like that. But you know, if you really sprain your ankle pretty good, um, you maybe don't just ice, but I, I would, I would still recommend some icing going on. Um, you know, even in light of some of the studies, uh, I think it's, I think it's still a valuable and viable therapy, uh, option in most cases. So I'm hedging on this one a little bit, Tom, because there's a lot of variables at play as far as what the injury is, how severe it is, what kind of other tools you might have access to. Um, but I don't think that, that just saying you shouldn't ice anymore. Like in some cases, yeah. In some cases, eh, I don't, I, I would struggle to still go all in with that. And, and you, know, maybe you're talking about, it's going to take an extra day or two to heal as opposed to not, maybe not. I don't know. Again, lots of variables. So, uh, gosh, I hate to hedge so much on a question that should be in my wheelhouse, but it just, there's a lot of variables at play. And personally, I'm still going to ice for a lot of things. May do it in addition to some other things as well, though. So again, nuance and, and hard to give a, a strict black and white on this type of situation. But thank you for the question, Tom. It's definitely something that's worth discussing, worth keeping in mind, um, and, and worth recognizing that, that sometimes what we did 20 years ago and it worked great 20 years ago may still work now, but maybe there's a better. And that's where, that's where kind of some of this research is going with, with not just icing right away, but doing some movement, getting some, some work done. Um, and maybe that's better. Maybe that's better. I mean, it's something that all of us need to be reminded, not just be set in our ways and whatever thing, injuries, work, whatever. Um, there's always a possibility that something new might be better, might be better. So thank you for the question, Tom. Next one from Tom, where do you stand on old school short shorts with like a four inch inseam versus a more contemporary shorts with a longer inseams? Um, as my thighs would attest, I'm not a short shorts kind of guy. Uh, I'm also not, you know, wearing shorts down to, to my calves or anything like that. But like my running shorts, you know, are probably, I think they're, they're like five or six inch inseams usually, um, you know, just, just down to a, just over the knee. Um, and that's, I mean, that's pretty much what I wear all the time. Anyway, my, my fancy shorts, um, you know, are just kind of knee length, uh, types of shorts. I don't, I don't get the, the, the measuring tape out and, and figure out what the inseam is. Um, I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, an NBA basketball player from the eighties. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not wearing the, 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 the bun huggers or things like that. That I know the ladies sometimes wear those. I don't think the guys too much wear the, the briefs when they're out running, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I like to have a little bit of something over my legs. Um, of course, then sometimes I run, they start to ride up and then I've got the, the white, the, 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 just the, the glare coming off of my, my thighs. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I am not, I guess I'm not man enough to wear the shorty shorts 
you know, take that, take that in whatever direction you want to go with it. And then last but not least question for this month. Also from Tom, how many Cadbury eggs did your family get at Easter this year? Also asking for a friend. Well, everybody's afraid to ask for themselves, right? You got to ask, got to throw that friend under the bus. Uh, Tom, feel free to tell your friend that we have a legit Easter bunny in Lakeland, Florida. Who knew, who knows, who knows that when it comes to Easter candy, Cadbury eggs, garbage peeps, garbage. And so he doesn't torture the people in our neighborhood. He doesn't torture at least the people in my house by bringing garbage candy. He brought the goods. He brought the Starburst jelly beans. He brought the Reese's eggs. And that's, that's all you need. That's all you need. So the the direct answer to your question, a big fat zero Cadbury eggs came to my house this year because that's how it should be. Because those Cadbury eggs are garbage. Mic drop. Although I'm not going to drop my mic because I, I ain't got the money to replace it. So that's, that is that. But thank you for the questions, Tom. Thank you for the questions, everybody who uh, chimed in this month, uh, whatever number that was. Thank you for, uh, for giving me something to talk about, to rant about, to ramble on about. Uh, and you know, just over an hour, that's not too bad for uh shoot. That's not too bad for a quick tip these days, let alone for a Q and a episode. So, uh, not too long, just right. Kind of right in that sweet spot. So thank you all for the questions. Once again, Dizruns.com slash Facebook or the Facebook, uh, you know, if you're on Facebook, just search for the Dizruns tribe. That's the best way to get into the group. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, we'll let you in. Just don't be, don't be douchey and you can stay and enjoy the party. Uh, chime in as much as you want, lurk around and just kind of see what's going on. That's cool too. Uh, but then once that post comes out middle of the month, asking for your questions, you throw your questions in the comments, I'll answer them and uh, we'll get to circle up and do this again next month. So any questions that I, that uh, you have, anything that, that I said that you disagree with, uh, always love to keep the conversation going on social media at Dizruns on Twitter at Dizruns on Instagram. You can also send an email Dizruns at gmail.com. And of course, you can also slide into the comment section on the, the show notes itself, which you can get to Dizruns.com slash 833 is the link for the show notes today. We've got a few things linked up, things that I referenced in the, in the answers today. Those links are there, photos, uh, products, the whole nine, uh, even some some past episodes I did or past interviews or quick tips that kind of relate to some of the, the topics today, even if I didn't necessarily reference them. Um, got those things linked up as well. Disruns.com slash 833. You can also leave your comments, feedbacks, disagreements, whatever it might be in the comment section there. And uh, we, can, we can carry on a conversation through the comments there as well. So y'all, thank you for listening. Thanks for contributing the questions. Those that did much appreciated. And uh, until next time, y'all, please be well, take care, stay safe. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? See you.